Welcome to Documentary Diehards, the show where three sports fans break down one 30 for 30 documentary each and every episode. I'm Ren Clayton. Nick Rudolph is here. Sam Anderson is here. Sam, what's up? How's it going? I'm doing good, Ren. How are you doing? I'm doing I'm doing very well. It was really nice out today, so I'm happy. Nick, what's up? Not too much. Good uh, good basketball weekend. Enjoying the last, well, couple days, I guess, of the big season and fun time of year. How have your predictions uh, fared as far as the tournaments? I don't want to brag, but uh, all four of my Final Four teams still in it. Really? Who are they? Yeah. I have Gonzaga, Michigan, Arkansas, and Houston. So I'm just shooting up boards right now. Nice. Yeah, I, I, you don't need to know what, my, what mine are, so... <laughs> You guys can just Venmo me. Wasn't our entry fee like 300 bucks? Yeah, something like that. <laughs> Nick, uh, is this how you expected it would go? Um, to a point, yes. I mean, I think there was definitely some, you know, obviously I didn't pick Oregon State to be able to be in Elite Eight. And uh, UCLA, I think a lot of people thought Michigan State uh, was going to be uh, the one there. And really you could argue that they were supposed to lose to Michigan state. I mean, they were pretty close to that. Um, Houston, I thought they would have a chance. Um, I mean, Illinois losing early was, uh, was big. Um, I mean, Houston can go to the final four. Or if they do, they'll have played a 15, a, uh, 10, a 12 or an 11 and then a 12 seed. I mean, that's like the, you could argue they're the worst <laughs> or at least the worst tested team right. uh, to go to a final four in history. Uh, if things continue to uh, wow. play out like they look like. So I didn't realize that. Holy cow. They've just gotten everyone just taken down right before they got to them. And they shouldn't have won against Rutgers. They, that was a, I would say a miracle that they mm-hmm. beat Rutgers cause they were down. I forget how, but I think it was like six or eight in the last like two minutes or something like that. So I think that was when we were recording our last podcast. So last if Houston Sunday. beats Oregon yeah. State, which are they're playing right now when recording this, they would have to play Arkansas or Baylor. So that would be the first test. Arkansas obviously a three seed, Baylor one seed. Mm-hmm. But that would be all the way, you know, deep into the tournament, late, late in the tournament. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, I had my Gonzaga pick to go all the way, and I'm I think I'm the only person that, that has has them to go all the way and win it all. So it's yeah, it's, yeah it's, I'm uh, I'm smart. What else is going on in the world of sports? We want to talk about. I want to talk about Deshaun Watson. What do you guys think of the whole scandal, the masseuse scandal he's got going on right now, or accusations is probably a better way of putting it. Yeah, um, I was doing some kind of deep searching, I guess, uh, into it today. Just um, before today, I'd only read about um, about it on ESPN, and they didn't necessarily, I guess, go into much detail. Uh, I read a little bit on The Athletic and then um, about it, and I learned that there was 19 people out now, and and there's going to be a 20th uh, soon, and I don't know if there's supposed to be more after that. Um, But they went into more graphic detail on stuff, too, and I mean, the guy just seems like a sleazeball, I guess. And and uh, then Sports Illustrated had another article that um, was from an anonymous uh, massage uh, therapist that he had um, that is not part of the allegations, but she wanted to get her story out. And uh, 
Yeah. And she would give basically a step-by-step, you know, kind of it recalled the whole incident. And I thought, you know, it, 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 I feel stupid when I like read things like that because it's like, oh my gosh, I can't believe he like did that. But it's like, why doesn't our uh, mind like, like we know what he did, but then actually hearing what he did and like the steps of, of that, like makes it all the, all that much worse just like a video, um, you know, makes it 10 times worse and, and everything like that. So that was kind of blowing me away today. Yeah, I actually did just read that Sports Illustrated article today also. Yeah, it's, it's wild. It's also just crazy when you first heard about it, uh, I guess, I don't even know, a couple of weeks ago when they first talk, started talking about it. But like, I feel like Deshaun Watson was one of the most like likable and he seemed like one of the good guys in the NFL. Like that was his image and Mm -hmm. uh, somehow that was like kind of what a lot of people would say about him is, oh yeah, he's like this nice, really charismatic and like, you know, I don't know, down to earth guy or whatever. But yeah, this is, uh, it's weird. And then the other weird aspect of it is that like he might not play there anymore or like in that, in, in Houston anymore. So he might go to a different location and, and how does this this affect that like does this hurt i mean if this getting... is yeah oh, i was just gonna say i mean if this is true will he ever play in the nfl again right exactly i, I, I mean I... i'm it's crazy i think he he will like if nothing more than this comes out i think there have been others that have been accused of much worse that have still continued and i guess it depends on the you know like what is proven and all that kind of stuff and all that mm-hmm. you know logistical stuff like that but i feel like it's also it's- tough because it's um in in sam you might know more than this just by association with hannah but um it's like a civil lawsuit so it's not necessarily that he's um going in it, it's not like he could go to jail for this stuff right yeah i don't even know to be honest with okay. you I think um, I it's haven't like, read into it very much, but yeah, I think it's all like civil lawsuits. So uh, I feel like that has a different spin on it. And instead of, um, you know, like uh, a sexual assault this victim or right. something like that. I think, I mean, as we've seen with other sexual misconduct or, or something um, like allegations with NFL players, the most impactful thing to like the league or the future of the player's career will be the league's investigation and what they decide the punishment that they will hand out will be because a lot of times there isn't a a state investigation going on with some of these things Mm -hmm. and it's it's more the league that's looking into it for one reason or the other but yeah i don't know it's messed up and if there's ever a player who the nfl is probably might be willing to overlook all of these allegations because based on talent, it, it's like a 25 year old superstar quarterback. Cause I mean, I mean, the NFL has proven that talent usually gets back on the field. Yeah. Time and time again, Tyree no matter. If, yeah, exactly. Tyreek Hill. There's, there's other stories like that too. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, quarterback is King in the NFL. So. And, it, and then there's the conspiracy theory that like Houston is pushing forward all these stories to, you know, lower his value or whatever. Cause he's, he wants out and he wants to be traded and they are not going to trade him, blah, blah, blah. Which at this point is kind of a conspiracy theory. Like that's yeah. at this point with all the separate, you know, accounts, but. Yeah. If it was like 
two or three, I might believe that. But now that it's like over 20 or whatever it is yeah. at this point, it's damaging to the franchise too. It's not even just him as a player. It's, mm-hmm. Oh, if, if you continue to have him on your team, you might be a disgrace to 10% of fans. I don't know. Yeah. It's at yeah, least it's wild. Yeah. Yep. So that's kind of what's going on. MLB is about to start. Oh, I did have one more thing. I, I fell asleep right before the big, no. uh, the game ended a couple nights ago. I was staying up late to watch UMD hockey versus North Dakota. I, and it was the fourth overtime period. And then they scored like right as soon as the fifth started, the UMD did. But it turned, I, I was there once they eclipsed that longest minute total of uh, NCAA tournament hockey game. But that was the quarterfinals of the men's hockey tournament. And and UMD ended up winning in three to two. But that was just nuts. Do you guys yeah, hear I, that? Yeah. I was watching earlier in the game and. And the Gophers, because the Gophers were supposed to be on, and then this game went so long. And then the Gophers game got done, which started two hours after, you know, before this. Yeah, it was crazy. But I fell asleep in the third overtime, so. Yeah, and I mean, the Gophers game luckily wasn't a good game. The Gophers blew out whoever they're playing. But so, yeah, and it was the first time that, like, there had been all five of the D1 Minnesota uh, hockey teams in the tournament now the gophers are out because they lost to another minnesota team mankato and bemidji state's also out so it was bemidji state mankato state or minnesota state mankato umd gophers and st cloud state and so it's going to be mankato state versus st cloud state right and then umd mm-hmm. versus some other state who cares where that <laughs> but yeah yeah umass beat beat bemidji state to get there but yeah, that was that was nuts. All right, should we get into our what we're here for? Yes, let's do it. We're reviewing. This is what episode thirty-three, I believe. We're reviewing yep. Renee is the title of this thirty for thirty. It came out in April two thousand twenty or two thousand eleven. Directed by Eric Draff, and it's about Renee Richards, a transgender um, tennis player. Um, and who competed um, in the women's U.S. Open um, in tennis, and it kind of just, yeah, I mean, it's it, you know, its story kind of writes itself. It's it's super unique, and she was she, I guess, she had her sex change when she was in her early 40s, and so she had this whole life before that, which they laid out in in detail. It's another long <laughs> movie. It's like a, an hour and 15 minutes or something. Um, but it just talks about her life. She was a great her tennis player when uh, growing up and when she was a man and then um, was like a eye surgeon and everything. And then had, had her went through the you know hormone change process or however you describe it and the actual surgery uh, to become Renee Richards. Originally, her name was Richard Raskin. And then, uh, and soon after she she made that change, she moved to California from New York and entered tennis tournaments, started winning, and became like this whole phenomenon. You know, it was, it was a huge story across the country. She was in all these these women's tournaments, and some wouldn't let her play. USTA, which is the governing body in the United States tennis, wouldn't let her play. 
um, at first, and eventually she won a lawsuit, not having to be um, have her gender text te uh, tested, like her chromosomes tested, and so that's how she ultimately got to play in the um, women's U.S. Open. She, I think, lost in the first round in singles, but won a few matches, or several matches, I think, in the doubles. And um, yeah, I mean, it's a super crazy story. I mean, it's I don't know crazy is the right word, but super unique and. Um, yeah, what was your guys' first impression, Sam? What uh, what did you think when you first were watching this movie? Um, I guess my first thought is just I'm happy that I now know this story because I think it's really relatable even to this day. I mean, there's news out there right now about states trying to ban um, trans people from playing in. Um, sports and, and things like that. And it, it's still a huge issue today. And so um, this was kind of at the forefront. It started it all, I would say. I don't really know if there was anything like this before it, but this had to be one, probably the biggest story. <clears throat> and I didn't know anything about it. Um, I thought the documentary itself was okay. Um, I liked the, the story, like I said, I didn't think there was anything like special about the production or anything like that, but um, definitely an interesting story. And um, I, hearing from her throughout the documentary um, definitely added to that, I think. what do you think, Nick? Yeah, I thought, um, you know, I had never heard of this first off. Um, and so to happen that long ago, I think is, is crazy. And, and um, you know, surprised that I haven't heard of it, just, you know, knowing what we're all going through um, and, and how big of a topic this is, like you said. Um, I think the best part about the documentary was just how many different interviews they had and, and like big tennis um, stars, I guess, and, and all commenting on it. There was times where I don't know if they tried to overplay her chances of, you know, getting into like, majors and and um or or like I didn't know where she stood against competition I guess um and, and so like was this like it was good to get the tennis legend um you know like thoughts and perspectives um but then I I felt like there wasn't much talk about how far she made it into tournaments and so it was, um, you know, I, I think that it was obviously monumental, no matter how good she was. However, um, I don't know if they tried to create it into something bigger performance wise than what it was. Um, but yeah, that's just me also being a tennis, um, I guess, uh, ignorance in tennis too. So um, that was just like, I guess one thing, but anyways, um, going back to like the interviews, I mean, it was cool to see Billie Jean King and uh, like, uh, McEnroe and, and other, uh, you know, big names. And then um, also have uh, friends of her um, that were, you know, close to her. And then uh, even before the, um, the the change and everything. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I hadn't heard of it either at all. Um, and I guess I should have said this was, what, the 70s? I, I think it was late 70s when most of her, like, big like the yossi open was i think it was or maybe early 80s. I, I believe so yeah yeah um and so yeah i hadn't really heard about this at all and yeah like you're saying nick like it was not i mean yeah they were by omission they were not saying like that she was super dominant 
at the like pro level like th- there was stages where she was like running through these tournaments that were like small like like county tournaments or whatever but yeah like i think there was one time like they mentioned like after her appearance in the u.s open like then she like kind of struggled and you know she played in some more like big tournaments but she didn't like necessarily do that well competitively but she also was really good and i mean she at this time she was what 42 43 or something like that so and i mean yeah so she uh i i I don't really know where to start the conversation here i guess one of the things that they talked about that a lot of like the tennis greats talked about and mentioned was like well this would have been a whole different situation if she had been 23 and had been come on the scene or whatever and that's when she had her her sex change and and stuff like that and like that's uh, like i wonder how people would have reacted differently to it then had she been even maybe way better at tennis or something i don't know yeah for sure because that's a big talking point um when she is in those tournaments is that you know her play had declined um through the change and um I think she took estrogen at, right at one point yeah and yeah. how that had like weakened her skills and stuff but she was still relatively dominant i guess um but yeah if she was 23 24 years old i can't imagine um, how good she could have been yeah and like going off what you said like that's something i learned about like all the like i didn't know like apparently you have to take all these hormones when you're going through that process. Like, so she was taking tons of estrogen just kind of leading up to even thinking about having the surgery. Um, and, and then like, I guess she kind of went off it when she decided not to have the surgery and then went back on it when she ultimately did have surgery. And so like, I had no clue about all that kind of stuff. And I, I guess she was taking more hormones just for years after, like, cause they were, they mentioned that, like they mentioned how, you know the men have different hormones they have more testosterone blah 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 that's the argument why they're stronger or whatever and that's you know when they're talking about equity and and you know in sports and then they're but they were talking about how she doesn't have like male amounts of testosterone um and so that's an argument for her being allowed to play against women or whatever um and then other obviously other arguments where she was like i don't know six two or something it was like huge long limbs and stuff like that um but yeah I, I, that's something that it taught me about the whole process about with all the hormones and stuff like that um just kind of going into the documentary yeah it, it, it to me it was it was kind of long um i guess one big thing that i took issue with and I took issue with the way they did it, but not because they did it, but like, so they're talking about her son, right. Who is pretty messed. Like uh, she described him as like, you know, has addiction issues and has a lot of problems. And she um, attributes some of that to her and, you know, how he's bullied and stuff, which, um, and just kind of, you know, she kind of left him for a few years when she moved to the other side of the country and stuff, all this stuff. And so now he's an adult and, and they have like full access to her, Renee Richards, and her son, who agreed to be in this and do tons, do multiple interviews, and have a meeting at the end of the film where they they meet and sit on the couch and have a kind of awkward interview. And um, so that was done 
it was a good idea. I think it turned it. It just wasn't done succinctly enough. I think because it was, it was kind of just awkward, just not done right. And maybe too much of it was in there and it wasn't woven in with the rest of the story well. And so it made it like for like 20 minutes, we were just talking about these two people's, you know, issues. Relationship. Yeah. Yeah. And then we bounced back to some tennis and, and if they'd woven it fine, then, and and it was relevant, but it was just made irrelevant by the way they presented it. I thought. I have a hot take and I want to know your opinion on this. Both of you. Is this, was this the most brutal 20 minutes in ESPN 30 for 30 history up until this point? Because I think it was so awkward and so hard to watch that I was like, it was so cringeworthy. And I. So describe which part specifically you're talking about. The whole last 20 minutes when she's basically like talking smack about her son. And then they go to his apartment and they're sitting around and they're just sitting on a couch and she's like, lift your hat up. And he's like, (laughs) no, like, I don't want to, I don't want them to see my face. And like the whole time that he's talking, there's literally in the background, like a lady in a thong bending over and it's, it's just so, so not a a real person. Oh, yeah, I think at one point he has a joint like behind his ear. And there there's just so many awkward silences and stuff that the whole time I was like, ah, cringing. <laughs> and I was I literally I'll tell you what I wrote down. I wrote this was easily the most cringeworthy last 20 minutes of a doc that I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah. That was, and when she was like, you don't have any towels. And then they just w- like lingered on that moment for like a minute straight like who cares right yeah i just was... thought that a whole thing could have been cut out and was completely unnecessary but even before that it was like the ghost of sun past where like the sun just kept like they kept showing like a glimpse of him and then they disappear and go back to the story and then the sun would be there and then it's back to the story and it was like where is this coming from you know, I yes. feel like the whole documentary was about building this person up. And then there was like this, you know, black spot that they just kept bringing up and once in a while. It was weird. Yeah, it was just awkwardly done. Now that I say that, though, do you guys think it is the worst? Uh, do you think it was the worst 20 minutes of a doc that we've seen so far? Because I totally do. I mean, maybe I would have to think about it. There was some bad stretches in the Marion Jones one that but i maybe yeah if you want to go like that long of a period with just no redeeming qualities perhaps yeah (laughs) but how long was silly little game that's like 15 minutes of terribleness that was the greatest documentary of all time (laughs) um yeah did you guys have any major talking points about this one i have a couple more things but yeah i got one that's kind of a hot take too Okay. Bring it so, on. so I feel like um, obviously this story was huge and it was different uh, or like she was doing something that had never been done before. However, I don't feel like she was necessarily doing it because it had never, like, I don't know. I, it really turned me off that, that uh, he went off and had a sex change and then 
just ditched like the sun and then wanted like went all the way across the country just to get away and to like you know live this new life and then it was basically because she was liked tennis so much and then I feel like her ego brought her back into entering tournaments and the tournaments like how can you not uh, you know think that you're going to be noticed or, or kind of get publicity and and then it's like this you know turns out of control and I feel like the I, I just have issues with I guess like the where she was at mentally speaking like what was the mental drive to enter tournaments and like not thinking about how that's gonna just completely screw up your son and I, I guess the role of a parent, I feel like, is putting your needs aside or like your wants aside for your for your kids, and not saying that she shouldn't have or that she shouldn't have had a sex change, but more so saying like you have to realize how that's going to affect and like at least do more planning. Which it just it didn't appear to me that there was that much done, I guess, or that she wasn't as present as she should have been or could have been. Um, yeah, I agree with you. I, I think it's really hard to understand, I guess, because throughout it, I think they did a pretty good job of talking about like the internal conflict that he was experiencing. Um, you know, the flip flop of, you know, he's this really successful male, um, you know, who's dating all these women and he's a surgeon and he's a great tennis player and he seems so successful on the outside, but on the inside, like this conflict of I want to become a woman is just eating him alive. And I can't even imagine like the pressure you must feel um, from both sides, like inside you're miserable, but outside every, everyone thinks you're fine. And like, why would you do this? Your life's pretty good. Um, yeah, I guess it, what I'm trying to say, I just think it's like such a complicated and complex situation. And like, at, at some point, like we can call him, uh, selfish for like moving across the country and ditching his son and stuff. And I think that that's justified, but at the same time, like he was talking about, you know, at some point I almost wanted to kill myself and stuff. And so at what point do you have to be selfish and go and, um, <clears throat> change your life and do this for you, I guess. Um, yeah, I don't know. What do you think, Ryan? Yeah. I mean, I agree with kind of both of you, I guess I, I had the same thought where, whenever there is you're watching something or reading something it's like yeah they just they kind of left their kid to go pursue whatever it's it's a turn off for me as well it's like well that's obviously the wrong decision and i and yeah clearly there was all these other factors and one of them being that his ex-wife like wouldn't really let him see his kid uh after this exchange as much probably well they they said that but i don't know to the extent um so that was maybe a factor but yeah i mean moving away was one thing and it was like, okay, that that's kind of a strike against you, but I understand it because you want to, you know, be anonymous, start a new life, make new friends as someone may find a friend that didn't know you before when you were this other person. But then the thing, then the contradiction to that is then you go and, and become famous like less than a year after that. So you become, and, and it's, yeah, and, and the thing where it's like, oh, I didn't know I was going to be uh, winning all these turn and like no one really buys that. Like her friends didn't buy that. No one bought that. So yeah, that's the part where I struggle with it. 
but yeah, I mean, obviously I can't even empathize a little bit because I have no idea, you know, what that's, what that's like, but yeah, it's, it's just a, it's a tough situation. I'm not really sure I'm how to break it all down. You just have to wonder if she regrets and maybe she mentioned it in the doc and I didn't hear it, but if she regrets ever entering uh, that La Jolla tournament that made her big, you know? Yeah. I, if I had to guess, I would say no, because a lot of her friends talked about like, yeah, like she was an alpha or like he was an alpha and like, he always wanted to win and stuff like that. And so I felt like even like when she wanted to be anonymous, like that's what made her do it is because she wanted to flex and show off what she was really good at. And so I would guess that if she had to do it again, she'd probably enter it again, but yeah, I don't know. And I think at one point in this, this quote might have been what really rubbed me wrong, but it was like, she had nothing to apologize for is what she Mm. said. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think that quote was like, you know, kind of nail coffin for me that really like right turned me off but there was definitely some selfishness shown from her throughout i think yeah just based on some of the comments and stuff like she's just throwing her son under the bus in this documentary oh he's got drug problems oh i, I give him rent money oh like yeah. you're kind of uncalled for you're a parent you can't be doing that to in a documentary that's about you, that's going to be aired to millions of people. Yeah, even if you think that way. <laughs> right. Right. So I, I did want to bring up, well, I guess a couple things, but maybe it's just one thing. I, it, it kind of just made me think, the film made me think just how crazy, because this is a big argument, right? It, it is pretty crazy to think that someone would change their gender just to be dominant at a sport. Like, cause that's the argument where it's like, where a lot of people would have that is, doesn't at face value sound that bad of an argument where it's like, um, okay. So all these, like these, you know, elite male athletes in their late teens are just going to have a sex change and then go to the Olympics and win all the golds or something at whatever it was like swimming in the East Germans. That was a whole controversy, blah, blah, blah. But like if you someone in the documentary said this that was being interviewed and like that actually does sound pretty because that's like you that's your life and that you're literally changing for that reason. And it, I don't know, just it, the argument sounds a little crazier to me than it used to. I mean, I think this documentary does a really good job of showing how she's like so torn and like miserable throughout it and how even though she made this change, it's been super difficult on her and super difficult on her friends and family. And because it's been difficult on her friends and family, it's made it harder on her. You know what I mean? So yeah, like you said, it's your life and there's so much more to it than, Oh, I'm going to go dominate in tennis or I'm going to go dominate in swimming or wherever it may be. Like that's such a minor part of an athlete's life. And to think that somebody would be willing to, go through all of the trouble that it would take that um, Renee went through in order to, you know, win a few million bucks or mm. a few trophies or whatever is outrageous, I think. Yeah. And then I guess, I suppose there are more gray areas if we're ta- talking about like the communist countries or whatever that used to allegedly, you know, pump their athletes full of whatever, or, you know, so, so like I suppose there are more gray areas and and there's different tests that 
can be done and blah, blah, blah. And I'm obviously none of us are experts on this, but then, so there's the other thing at the very end of the documentary that they kind of glossed over, which was, they put it in, which is Renee being interviewed and saying, she sort of uh, thinks that maybe she shouldn't have been allowed to play. So what? (laughs) Like, huh? (laughs) Right. Nick, what are your thoughts? Like, I don't get it. I think my biggest uh, concern with it, um, with uh, transgender athletes competing against, um, or I mean, typically this would be a transgender female competing against other females would be um, in a situation like this one where, um, you know, she was a male for 40 years. Um, You you can't teach, um, you know, however tall she was, I forget, was it 6'2 or something like like that? that? like that um so you can't i mean you can't train that or you can't like you're of your puberty as a male and and helping those skills as a male and then transitioning into female i don't think that just because you're taking hormone blockers and uh doing the different hormone transition things i don't think that necessarily negates everything which is i feel like what she is I mean, I'm not going to put words in her mouth, I guess, but I kind of am where I feel like she could be coming from that perspective of things. Yeah. That's, I feel like what one of her lawyers said at one point, something along those lines when they were in the lawsuit with the USTA talking about the hormone injections and stuff. Yeah. I I don't know. It's weird. And then, so then it's, it's just kind of crazy. Like she has Billie Jean King, Martina Navratilova, all these people um, advocating for her. And then, at this point, which is years later, that she's interviewed. Well, I guess they, Billie Jean King and all them, they still have the uh, view that she should have been allowed and were still on her side because she was so vehement about her side. Um, and then she says that thing where, where it's like, yeah, maybe only they should only be, uh, transgender people should only be allowed to play non-pro events, which is what she said in the documentary. And then, so it's like, and then she said something about how I mean, she wasn't 100% on that side. She was a little wishy-washy, I guess. But she was like, they just want to be, uh, I forget what she said, but trans, like, she, they just want to get what they deserve or something like that. And she's like, that's what I felt like back then was like, I just wanted to, you know, be able to do whatever else was doing or whatever, which makes sense. But I don't know. It's It's weird how she has now looked back on her own story and maybe doesn't agree with it it makes the documentary i mean if the maker of the documentary had a point of view then it negates that point of view but it it also makes the documentary more interesting i suppose because it's you know that's interesting that you're contradicting yourself so yeah anything else before we give it a rating that's it for me okay I'll start uh, going pretty long, I think, but uh, I'm going to give it 5.4 love letters because there's a point at one time when his ex-girlfriend is reading love letters and they're pretty explicit and she was like so embarrassed. It was a really hilarious moment. She's like, this is older woman, you know, obviously. And she's like, oh, this is so embarrassing. I'm reading this letter. Um, but anyway, 5.4, because yeah, the, like we talked about, it was, uh, it was a little all over the place. It was certainly maybe one of the most, um, revealing 
friend and family interview um, collections that we've had in a documentary because they had so many of her friends and family and people around her um, talking and, and being really candid. Like a lot of them disagreed with certain parts of what she did. And so it wasn't just like, oh yeah, she's great. She's got great, 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 great. And so that part was really good, but yeah, it, it fell off in a lot of parts, but certainly I learned a lot. How about you, Sam? I agree with you that the interviews were great. Um, you got opinions from, um, you know, amazing tennis players, some all-time legends in there, and then um, family and friends who weren't fans of the decision that she made. Um, some who thought it was the right decision and some who thought it was a selfish one. Um, like I said, though, I, but I kind of, I had my first thought of, I wish I could give this documentary two ratings because if you would have stopped the documentary at like an hour, I probably would have given it mm, maybe six point something, maybe low sevens even. Cause I was like, oh, this is an interesting story. The interviews are good. There's nothing special about it, but it's a story worth telling. But because the end was such a train wreck for me, I given this one, um, what did I have it? Hold on. It's going to be your lowest. No, not quite. Um, I'm going to give this one a 5.6 uh, Phyllis Anderson's. And that's, there's an old lady who's interviewed named Phyllis Anderson. And that's my grandma's name. And I thought that was kind of funny. So. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah, but I just thought, um, you, what'd you say? This one's for you, Phyllis. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I just, I think they could, they could have easily made this one, one of the 52 minute ones that we watched in the first 30 and uh, I would have been much happier with it. What do you got, Rudy? I'm right in both you guys. Um, I'm going to give it a 5.1 uh, graphic medical photos because for some yeah. reason they needed to include all the <laughs> medical photos. <laughs> Yes, I forgot about that. They I just, would not talk about that. There yet. was no warning. They just panned over, and it was. I was just like, <laughs> I yeah, I and I'm like as squeamish as they come when it comes to that stuff. And I was just like, and I barely wa- saw it before like looking away. But shoot, that was not fun. <laughs> <laughs> it yeah, the- it was one of those things. It just kept going and going and going, and you're like, "Oh, it's just gonna be like a, you know, it was like actual pictures." Oh god, I shouldn't be talking about it. Yeah, yeah. wow, that, that was rough. So we're All on right. the fives. Yeah, that was not one of the best ones we've seen. Okay, let's uh, let's move on to uh, Mount Rushmore. We have a a fun idea for this um, week's Mount Rushmore. We're doing in honor of March Madness, we're doing college mascots, a age-old conversation starter, favorite college mascot, and um, we're going to do our top four. I am not sure who starts, and that's pretty on brand for me. And my I believe it's you, Ren. No. Nope. Um, my thing won't looks load. Like, looks like my uh, order is messed up. It should be me because you went episode 31 first, and Rudy went second, and I should be third. Okay, you and then who? Me and then Nick. Okay. I believe. All right. Favorite college mascot, Sam. All right. I'm going to steal it. I'm going to steal the Golden Gophers. 
Just because otherwise <laughs> I knew Nick was going to take it. And um, I think it's a really cool mascot. I love Goldie. I love watching him at mascot competitions. And I feel like every person who has gone to the U or goes to the U is just really proud to be a gopher. So I'm going to go with that. I don't want to play anymore. <laughs> it is a good one. And you, because being from here to hearing it since you're little, you don't think of how unique it is. And it actually is really unique. Mm-hmm. All right, mm-hmm. Nick. All right, well, if he's ruining my party, I'm going to ruin uh, Ren's party then. I'm going with the Hawaii Rainbow Warriors. All right, all right. <laughs> Respect. Are you going to take that one, Ren? I have a different one from Hawaii, so actually maybe oh. more than um, I am going to go, since I now I know, Nick, what you know that I'm going to do, I'm going to go with this one, and I'm going to do Shamanad Silver Swords. Um, pretty unique. I, for a while there, when I was in Hawaii and covering them brief every once in a while, I thought the silver swords was kind of fish, but it's actually kind of plant in in uh, that's like an endangered plant in the area. It looks like it sort of like it's very small, but it has a whole bunch of strands, kind of like a sword. But uh, Shamanade, obviously, an all-time legendary story with the uh, upset that they pulled off of some team. I'm blanking. Is it? No, I'm not even going to guess, but um, Virginia? Or am I thinking of when they got upset a few years ago? I think you know, when they were upset a few years Yeah, but um, yeah, it's it's not a D1 program. It's D2, I believe, but um, Silver Sword's unique, and you'll notice that a no, lot of mine... What? 1982 Virginia. It was Virginia. Okay, good. And they obviously host it the um, Maui invite. Um, so I'm going to go back to back and I'm doing the Drexel Dragons because how cool is that sounding? I think it's surprising to me whenever I hear about them and they just made the tournament, right? Um, um, and so I, they're introduced or reintroduced to me. But I think Dragons is such a straightforward, obvious choice for a college mascot. I'm surprised there isn't more. And it's it's just so cool sounding dragons, and it has everything you really want in a, in a mascot. First of all, it's unique. Like second of all, it's like fierce or whatever. It's not like a there's a lot of mascots that don't aren't like a scary thing or whatever. And yeah, it's like pretty badass. So Drexel dragons. It is surprising that dragons aren't used more often. Yeah. All right. Uh, next one, I'm gonna go with the Oregon Ducks. I feel like the uh, color scheme I like a lot. And then, I mean, they have a ton of different um, like football uniforms all the time and everything. But even just uh, like the simple, like the old like sailor looking duck uh, logo, it's like the old school one. I think that's really cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've always liked that. And then I think the mascot, uh, the, uh, the Oregon duck is pretty entertaining too and has a lot of entertaining bits. All right. I'm going to go with the Akron Zips because what the heck is an Akron Zip? Isn't their mascot like a kangaroo? No, you're thinking of some other place, I think, but you could be right. I think, there is another uh, place that is the kangaroos, though. Yeah. Oh, yeah, there is. But either way, um, I don't exactly know what a Zip <laughs> is, but uh, I think it's... <laughs> 
it usually refers to something fast or something that zips up but the reality is that this university seems to be a little of both i don't know i like it though so i'm gonna go with it and then um its name is zippy zippy (laughs) all right the other one i'm gonna go with is um the st louis billikens that one hits a little closer to home because i'm when we moved to st louis um, I had no idea what a billikin is, and it's basically like a, a, a little fictional, made-up troll-looking creature. With Have you guys ever seen it before? No. Yeah, you should Google it. It's, it's pretty cool. And there's like a, been a bunch of different renditions of it over the years. Um, and I always loved seeing it all over the place in St. Louis. And just the name billikin is pretty cool. So it's a St. Louis thing. Mm-hmm. St. St. Louis Billikins. It says it says the Billikin is a charm doll created by an American art teacher and illustrator um, from Kansas City. Yeah, it says. Oh. They're not exactly sure how well, SLU, which is St. Louis University, became associated with the Billikins, hmm. but yeah, they just ran with it, I guess. Okay. All right, Nick. Nicholas, your turn. Sorry, I was I was googling what a billikin is, and then was, <laughs> it was like also people also search for, and now there's all these different um, mascots that I'm like, oh man, oh, <laughs> lot to choose from now. That's funny. Like there's a fighting okra. <laughs> what? <laughs> from where? <laughs> Maybe it's not a real one, but a made-up one. Uh, it's <laughs> Delta State. Um, I like the NDSU Bison. I, like, I think the Bison is a is a cool uh, mascot, and uh, and I feel like the logo is cool. And I am biased, of course, to that. But um, but yeah, I always I always think that's cool. I like that too. I like the buffaloes from Colorado too. Just. Because it, it is another like big animal that's not often chosen as a mascot. Mm-hmm. All right, my last two, right? Yes, yep. I um, I'm gonna have to do some honorable mentions after this. I think just to <laughs> mention a few, but I'm gonna go with the Coastal Carolina Chanticleers because it's another just super weird one, unique. Chanticleer is just like a rooster, I guess, but I've always loved that, and it's like. CCC, it looks so good written. Coastal Carolina Chanticleers. It's a, it's a vibe. I think it's a major vibe. Never even heard of that one before. Oh yeah, like when really? I'm surprised you haven't, Nick, because it's weren't they like in the tournament a couple years ago? And I feel like that's when I learned about them. Anyway, um, I'm gonna go U- University of Hawaii Hilo, so on the Big Island, the Vulcans. So the Vulcans is not a Star Trek thing in this sense. Vulcans is, it's basically like a Roman god of fire slash volcanoes. And so the reason I like it is because obviously it's really unique, but it's, be, it's directly related to the environment and where they are because there's volcanoes, Mauna Kea, um, on their island. And so it it's super fitting and when it's super appropriate, I feel like, and unique, it makes it a good mascot. I've also never heard of that one, but that's really cool. Yeah. Yeah, they're not D1, but 
Nick, you're going to close us off with the CSP Golden Bears or what? <laughs> yeah, that's the original. Oh, no, that's for you. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, save that one for me. Um, let's see. I'm going to go with the uh, Notre Dame Fighting Irish. I think the mascot itself is kind of not as fun, but but like the logo, I think is cool. Whether it's the Andy or like the the fighting mascot that or the fighting Irish that's got his like fists up, I think that's pretty cool. And it's unique. Okay. It's you know different and um, speaks to their heritage and yada yada. For sure, four leaf clover too. Uh, oh, I was gonna I was gonna pick. I just forgot for a second. I'm going to go with the Wyoming Cowboys. Mm. Um, love the color scheme. And um, I like, I really like their, uh, not necessarily their mascot, but their logo, I guess. It's like the bucking Bronco mm-hmm. uh, guy. What'd you say? I was just saying that is a really good one. I've always liked that logo. Yeah. And when I used to play NCAA football games, Wyoming was the team that I would bring to the top, bring to the mountaintop. <laughs> Love it. All right. Want me to review quick? Yeah. So I went with the Minnesota Golden Gophers, the, the Akron Zips, the Slew Billikens, and the Wyoming Cowboys. Rudy went with the Hawaii Rainbow Warriors, Oregon Ducks, NDSU Bison, and Notre Dame Fighting Irish. Ren went with the Chaminade Silver Swords, Drexel Dragons, Coastal Carolina Chanticleer, Chanticleers, yeah, and the University of Hawaii Hilo Vulcans. Yeah, my quickly one I had to get out is the Presbyterian Blue Hose. Uh, I only learned about them a couple months ago. There was some athlete that I was looking up that's committed to go play there, and so I looked it up because I hadn't really heard of Presbyterian either. It's in South Carolina. And then I looked up their mask, and I was like, what? It's H-O-S-E. And then I watched some ESPN Presbyterian play in, like, college. I mean, uh, yeah, some soccer match or baseball game on ESPN, the ESPN Plus, just mm-hmm. to go to sleep. And, and then I was like, okay, so what's the announcer going to say? He said it, but he avoided saying it most of the time because it, it sounds so weird. And so it's basically, it started with it, as like hosiery, like socks or something. So it's basically like saying red socks or whatever, blue. Oh, sure. But also the the school claims it as a um, as a blue hose being like a Scottish warrior. Because apparently like Braveheart was technically a blue hose also. Though that's not the origin of their, why they're called that. So anyway, that's wow, just, interesting. Yeah, I've, ne- I've never heard of that before. Yeah. All right, let's switch to our next segment, which is our documentary wish list. This week it's my turn, and I just have a. It's kind of a early stage of an idea, but I played golf for the first time this spring because it was nice out today here in Minnesota. But you can't play year round where you can a lot of places, and so I was thinking like a documentary with a study on athletes and maybe maybe it's one sport that's outdoors maybe it's golfers maybe it's baseball players softball players something that has to be outside um and the study of how many come from southern states we already know like 
a lot of warmer states, you know, have an advantage with their athletes and stuff. And a lot of people travel to play year round when they like a youth athlete is trying to specialize, whether it's a, a golfer moving to Arizona or whatever, or, you know, softball teams playing AAU in the South, um, several players if they're from up here in the winter and things like that so just a study a broad study about that or maybe a specific case study on a couple like a softball player a golfer and a baseball player and just you know these outdoor sports that you probably have a disadvantage if you live in minnesota or you know buffalo and stuff like that um i mean i think it'd be fascinating it'd probably be really hard um and I thought, I mean, it kind of goes hand in hand with this other thing that someone was telling me about a while ago, where it's like, because of youth sports age cutoffs, like you have a disadvantage of making it big in whatever sport, depending on the month you were born in, mm-hmm. and all that kind of thing. Um, so that's like almost a whole nother thing, but it kind of ties in. So uh, that, yeah, it's not about a specific athlete. Um, maybe they'd have to find some people to focus on, but I think it'd be interesting to find out what they come up with. One one that I'd add to that run is um, running. Yeah. A lot of people claim that you know altitude. If you're if you're born at altitude, you have an advantage, or depending on like a lot of the best training groups in the world are based at altitude, hmm. um, and so location yeah. definitely matters in running too. That's very true. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah, that's, and I mean, even if it is a football like obviously we know a lot of the southern states produce most of the football talent and you can practice or whatever a little bit indoors but not really and so that's another thing affected and i mean most sports are generally played outside um and so then and now we're seeing the the other side where like is there more you know, athletes disproportionate that are indoor athletes like basketball from places with winters, um, volleyball and things like that. Um, or does that not matter? So, yeah, I just think it'd be interesting. I don't really um, want to do it because I wouldn't know how to start, but <laughs> someone's smarter. <laughs> That's a good idea. All right. Uh, should we move on just to our next? Sam, do you want to? look up our next uh next week's topic episode 34 is called the dotted line um aired in october of 2011 it is about sports agents peter greenberg and eugene lee um and their handling of their clients so johan santana boys that's a big big name um Jaquin Williams, I don't know how to say his first name, and then uh, Robert Hughes. So um, a totally different aspect of the sporting world dealing with sporting agents. Hmm. I wonder if the Johan Santana thing will be like his trade from the Twins to the Mets. Like that was his big move or maybe, I mean, I don't know. Yeah, it could uh, very well be. That's cool. That'll be interesting. I've never watched that I one. So. It is, man. Okay. Based on the um, background that I'm trying to look through the mm-hmm. line, but I think it's the Mets. Heck yeah. Should be a good one. Yeah. All right, guys. Also, the producers supersize me. So. Producers have supersized me. I have not seen that because I feel like it's going to make me not want to eat. So.
stuff. But okay. yep. yeah, yeah, <laughs> I probably should. All right, guys, uh, this was fun. Anything else? Yes, it was. All right, we'll talk to you next week. Bye.